you got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be kind of all over the place, but the Lord has just been uh, speaking this to me this week, and I want to share this, this word with you, Genesis chapter 1. The title of the message this morning is Grace and the Creative Word. Grace and the Creative Word. And if you can't find Genesis, just get out of here right now. You just... <laughs> There's no hope. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God <laughs> created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3, and God said, look to your neighbor and say, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. When God begins to speak, things happen. How many of you know that many times we use our words and they're just kind of idle words, right? Uh, some of them are even wasted words that we might use. But God doesn't have one wasted word in His vocabulary. That every time God speaks, something happens. Now think if you had that power. What would your world look like if everything you said happened? Do you see the responsibility that must come with such a power. As God speaks and as He is hovering in the beginning, we find something here interesting is that there is a bunch of chaos. God isn't visiting something that's already formed. He's vis visiting a world that's without form and void. And there's waters over the whole thing. And so God comes and he hovers over this thing, this chaos, this ooze, this, this stuff, and then he begins to speak. And the first thing he speaks is let there be light. And he begins to put order to the chaos. And if we let God speak into our life, he'll begin to put order to the chaos that is there. So God is talking and creating. And as God is talking and creating, He creates this special place called Eden. And in this place called Eden, it was a place to where heaven and earth were to intersect and have engagement and have uh, uh, communication and dialogue. It was a place where God and man, where the physical and the spiritual could dwell together and they could come into unison and overlap each other. And Adam was to tend this garden and was to help this garden spread to where eventually this garden would take over the whole world. That was the intents and purposes. And so when God was talking... And then men are talking, everything's good. 
But a third voice gets introduced into the story. Suddenly, a serpent starts talking. And then other things start happening. The word there rendered serpent can mean a snake, but it can also mean an angel. It's got many different variations. Matter of fact, you know in Isaiah 6 where it says the seraphim were worshiping God, that comes from the same word. So this was an angelic creature that was beautiful, a serpent-like angelic creature that had come and it appeared beautiful. We picture like, you know, a snake in the tree, and everybody's like, ugh, why would you listen to that? But this was a serpentine-like seraphim that could have looked a lot like something that was to be worshipped in a god. So as this being starts to appear and this being begins to talk, suddenly Adam's gaze is off of what God had said. And then something else begins to enter into the picture. The Hasatan in Hebrew means the adversary. That Satan is an adversary, not just to you or me or God, but to everything. Satan will build something up just to watch it crumble. And that's his spirit at the core. If God won't worship me, then I'll tear down every single thing that I can. And this is Satan's M.O., that he would interject his voice and be so convincing that you would begin to believe it over the word of God and the promises of God for your life. And if you begin to listen to him and what he says, suddenly everything is stripped down to its core. This is where the power struggle between men and women came in. When the serpent started speaking and men started listening. This is where pain and bringing forth life entered in. This is where death entered in. This is where getting kicked out of the garden enters in. When we listen to that word. The first recorded murder in the scriptures is Cain and Abel. And God is still dialoguing with Cain before he's about to do what he's about to do. And he says, sin is crouching at the door. And it's waiting for you, but you must rule over it. It's like there's this third voice that's waiting for us to buy into its rhetoric. And if we buy into that rhetoric, then we will tear down everything that God is trying to build up in our lives and in the lives of others. So there is a word that goes forth and is creative. That's the word of God. And then there is another word that is a lie. 
And I've often thought, and you guys might have thought this too, is God, why did you put two trees in this garden? Well, unless you have the opportunity to be disobedient, you can never know the joy and pleasure and have the opportunity to make a choice of being obedient. So the nature of God is choice. He gives Satan a choice to fall. He gives everyone a choice to walk away and to hear the voices and then to determine which voice would be the one that they would build their life on and follow it. And this is what God is all about. But God is so good that when he uses these moments of testing and trial and temptation, when we begin to make the right choices, we begin to listen to the right voice, suddenly he begins to strengthen us and empower us and what Satan meant to tempt you to take you down ends up making you more powerful in the spirit and the thing that he's putting before you to make you stumble you can shame him and shame the principalities and powers of the air and show him there's still a God on the throne and I'm going to serve Jesus no matter what and that is what we're called to When we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying, Jesus, we submit to you and your word and your way. So where the word is, there is the creation of something new. Where the word of God is not, there's ultimately sin and death. And God has created and is creating. And I know sometimes it doesn't feel like you're making much headway. Sometimes it doesn't feel like you're making much progress and you're wondering, God, what are you doing to me? But I'm going to tell you this. If you'll continue to let the Word of God through relationship with Him rule in your life, that you'll be right where you need to be when you need to be there. Because God's always on time. He's always on time. In Revelation 19.10 and in Revelation 22.9, two different times, John, the revelator, falls on his knees and starts worshiping a figure that he thinks is God. And you know what that angel tells him? Get up. I'm one of you. John sees a future picture of himself. And what the redemption of Jesus looks like when we follow him out. That we're going to look so much like Jesus when he's done with us. That the average person isn't going to be able to tell us apart from Jesus. We're going to say, no, 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 get up, buddy. That ain't us. It's him. But that's how much we're going to look like him. That's the creative word of God that is sanctifying us. That's changing us. And God wants to do this through relationship. And that's what the Garden of Eden was all about. It was so that Adam would engage with God. And through that relationship, he would rule. He was made in the image of God. That God would choose to to make man in his own image and not choose Satan. This is Satan's issue with you. Satan's issue with you is that he's the most beautiful, but you got all the power. That Adam gets dominion over the earth. And he has to be a servant to God and Adam. 
And this is Satan's problem. I've got all the beauty. I should get all the power. That you being created in the image of God was not just something that you can do things like God can, like create and be moral and those things. That has a part to do with it. But you being created in the image of God was a status. That you would be His representative on this earth. That you have the status to be God's ambassador. And why He chose humans out of dirt, I'll never know. No, I do know, because that's His nature. He's humble. He washes feet. And He dies for people that will never appreciate Him. This is the nature of God. That He would visit chaos and bring order to it. And say, God, what are you doing there? Have you ever wondered, Jesus, what are you doing over there? You ever read the Bible and wondered that? Jesus, why are you here alone with this woman at the well why are you there? And God's saying, why aren't you here? See, God's so humble. And His Word is creative. And if you'll listen to His Word, He'll take you out of the chaos that is your life and He'll bring you into His. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was made out of things that are visible. So the word is creative. The Word of God can take something and make something out of nothing. Right? He can begin to speak and He doesn't even need the raw materials. He can just speak and then make it happen. So any place that's devoid of what uh, you feel like God should put in your life, don't let that stop you from having relationship with Him. Because if you'll continue in your relationship with Him and you'll walk in that relationship, He will speak those things that you need even if you don't have any sign of them. And He'll begin to create something in your life and make you new and make you in His image more completely. That this is what God wants to do. He wants to speak a creative word in your life. God's kind of like my wife. He can make something out of nothing. <laughs> Man, I'm in trouble. Pray for me. But the word is creative. So how does God create this beautiful thing? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. By grace through faith are you saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. So God is drawing us by His goodness, by His grace. He's drawing us to a place of repentance whereby the, the separation between us and Him would be eliminated and He could begin creating us 
anew. That grace removes anything between us and God when we meet Him. That God's goodness is the means and our trust in Him apprehends Him and His promises for our life. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this, that without faith it's impossible to please God. For whoever believes that God is must first believe that and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The, the, he, the Greek form there of, of faith is not pistis there. It's the verb form, pisteo. And what that means is to believe into. So it's impossible to please God without believing into him. So this isn't a mental ascent that the author's talking about in Hebrews verse, chapter 11, verse 6. It's not a mental ascent. It is believing into, it's coming into such a place that you're in union and relationship with God and you're walking with Him in relationship and that dialogue is how you're being trained. That's why Jesus, when He called the disciples, He said, follow me. He didn't say, here's a pamphlet. Read the pamphlet and I'll come back and, and give me a call on the phone if you've got any questions. He said, no, no, come with me that this is going to be not about a list of rules. The tablet of stone was broken because it was just that written on stone. God's got to get it in our hearts. And so he's calling us to a new level of relationship where the word of God wouldn't just be spoken physically out in front of us, but it would be spoken into our hearts. How many times have you read the Bible and it just leap off the page and set your heart free? Because the Word of God came alive in that moment and you believed into God, not just believed God. So the grace of God enters, into, enters us into relationship with the Word of God. And I know grace can get a bad rap. Unmerited favor. And a part of us think if somebody gets something for nothing, they're going to be pulled into worse depravity. But let me tell you something about grace. Grace is undeserved and unmerited. But when grace is truly received, you recognize that it's a gift. And as you receive the gift, you realize how unworthy you are to receive that gift. So out of a heart of gratefulness, you begin to work and do. Grace that is assumed upon or received or thought that it is earned would defeat the purpose of grace itself and would create an entitlement reality. See, grace isn't getting something for nothing. It's being grateful for getting the something for nothing. So if gratefulness doesn't enter into your heart and doesn't change your life, you didn't receive the grace of God. You received something else that has no power to change your life. And you're probably in worse shape than when you first heard the good news. See, the grace of God creates a gratefulness. And brings us in contact with the Word of God, the Gospel, which changes our hearts and it changes our lives. That we're flooded with an immense sense of gratitude and out of that flows the unreserved, undeserved act 
of blessing of God and we begin to step into the creative realm of God's changing power. Do you remember where you were when you found the grace of God? Do you remember how you used to be? And then you heard the gospel and you encountered the grace of God and then suddenly what happened? You begin to be changed. It's like God once again looked into the darkness of your heart and he said, let there be light. And then there's illumination and relationship and you begin to walk this thing out. And yeah, you stumble and fall, but you get back up and you you weep and you repent, but you get back up and you begin to walk in this thing and you begin to find out how good God is. You begin to find out how much good promises that he has for your life. And you walk this thing out and all of a sudden you find out you can't believe where you're at when he's done with you when you look back on the history of your relationship with God you just look back and say God how in the world did you get me from there to here and you know what all you can say but for the grace of God but for the grace of God Titus 2 Verses 11 through 14 says this, that for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Martin Luther was asked, how do you reconcile faith and works? He said, I don't have to reconcile friends. That if you got faith, You're going to do some work. If you've believed into God and not just, yeah, he's there. But if you've believed into him and you're in relationship with him, then you're hearing his voice and he's changing you. Grace is the creative thing that is creating us. Grace is the words meaning of means of creating a new heart in us. Grace is the statement, I do not create myself. God is creating me. Non-grace would be to say, I create myself. I go my own way and do my own thing. I don't submit to the Creator even though I know He's there, I'm creating myself. That's non-grace. And here's how foolish non-grace is. There's two probabilities of the earth being created and formed. Number one, there was someone who always existed who created it. Or... There was someone who popped into existence by creating themselves and then created the earth. Can anything create itself 
while not existing. That's what non-grace tries to do. That's what a life without God tries to do. It tries to say, I popped into existence and I've created myself and refuses to submit to the creator and be created. That's what non-grace does. It would be like me saying, hey, look, here I am. And say, who's your parents? What are you talking about? <laughs> I made myself. People say, no. No, you don't create yourself. God has created you and has a purpose for you and He loves you and He's wanting to draw you into Himself. That God's wanting you to be created and to admit you are created. And this was Nicodemus's problem who comes to Jesus in the night and says, how, how do you inherit the kingdom of God? How do we get in? And we know you're a teacher from God. And he says, you got to be born again. Born again? I've worked hard to get to be a Pharisee and to gain all this respect I've established my whole life building something to get me to the point where I am right now. To be born again must have sounded like going backwards. But let me tell you something. When the Word of God begins to stir in your life, it might feel like going backwards, but when God begins to create and begins to remove that chaos, and begins to put things in order and begins to deliver you and begins to do the neat work that only He can do in your life. It's unbelievable. When Jesus is trying to teach us about faith and trusting God, do you know what He does? He points to flowers. Come on, God, I thought you'd show me something more impressive than that. No, look at the flower. Does it toil? Does it try to figure things out? No, it just is. And it's beautiful. Because it's created and submitted to the Creator and does what it's supposed to do. Why is a flower beautiful? Is it because it's got a certain number of petals? Is it because... No, it's beautiful because it just is. It just is. It's created and submitted. And it's beautiful. And only God can make it beautiful. So God is trying to tell us Quit trying to create yourself and be impressive. I wish you'd be more like a flower and you'd let me create you the way you ought to be. See, when the creative voice of God begins to operate in our life, we begin to get into the Word of God, the Bible, and we begin to, to dialogue with God into relationship, there is nothing that is impossible when God gets apart and gets a hold of our life.
Some of us here maybe have taken a long time to define who we are. And it could mean losing your ego. It could mean a hundred of things. It could even feel unthinkable. But if you'll give that up, God in His creative Word will begin to create in you something new. Something new. I want to read this scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin that in Him we might become the righteousness of God in Him. On the cross, Jesus becomes the lie. He becomes sin. He becomes the representative of fallen humanity. And every lie that you've ever been told was there on that cross in that moment. But it wasn't just Christ being crucified. It was the lies of the enemy being crucified at the same time. So when we see Jesus on the cross, and then we hear the statement, God doesn't love us, guess what? You look at the cross and say, it's a lie. Whenever the enemy comes in and says your family can't be saved, you're never going to be reconciled back, you need to just, you look at that cross. Do you say the lie is dead? Whenever you begin to hear these voices in your head that are trying to create you, that are trying to make you do things separate from the will and purposes of God, whenever you hear those voices, You look at the cross and say, that's a lie. God loves me and he died for me and the lie is dead. And now God has risen from the dead to never die again so that the truth lives on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. If we'll put our faith in him. Let God create you. Walk in relationship with Him. If you've got sin in your life, get it out. It's a lie. That sin is going to lead ultimately to death and chaos. But if you'll listen to the Word of God, if you'll open your heart and say, God, speak to me, if you'll begin to give yourself completely and wholly to God, He'll begin to do a work that only He can do. He'll create that new thing 
He'll fill every void. He'll, he'll, put, he'll put every missing piece of the puzzle, he'll put it back in his time, and he'll do it. Because he loves you so much. He loves you so much. Would you bow your heads with me?